Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. This has been a long time coming. Actually, spoke to my next guest about the podcast straight after it launched, near enough, and always thought and said that Daisy, Daisy Lee Crouch from Dojo, would be a perfect guest because you are exactly the type of person I was thinking, oh, I, I think we met, first of all, at a special interest group, maybe, or was it when you were over? We'll get into that. But yeah. we had such a good laugh, I thought, oh, this is you're exactly the sort of person that should be on the podcast. And here we are, some four years later, though. It's taken us a while. So welcome, though, Daisy. Thank you very much. Yeah, we took our time, but we got here in the end. Was it the special interest group? I think it was actually at Ovo. I think when you came in, it was through Justin and you came in to talk to us when we were over and then I joined the special interest group. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. That was great, actually. So that was me, you and Helen from BPA. Uh, yeah. We had a great laugh and we managed to do some work as well. But A bit. Now, yeah, we... I've... For those of you that don't know, you're going to love this because Daisy, not only is she an expert, she is a, I'm going to say, a perfect role model for everything that's good about our industry and oh. a lovely person to boot apart from one major character flaw. Oh, okay, here we go. Let's just get this out of the way. Daisy is a hammer. She supports West Ham. And that's all we're going to say on the matter. Okay. I mean, you've just attacked my character over my team choices. I think that I should be able to rebuff that and okay, make exactly the then. same judgment about a Spurs <laughs> fan. Really? I know. How are we friends? I mean, it's it, it's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, we ignore it. Apart from the odd jab here and there. Yes. Yes. All good natured. So, Daisy, where did it all start for you? Oh, my goodness. A, a, a while ago now. So I have that quite classic, now I'm saying contact center tale. I don't know what I want to do at uni. I'm going to take a year out. I'll get myself a job. I'll earn some money. Maybe I'll travel a bit after that and I'll figure out what direction my life is going to go in. And then, so I started working in the energy industry, actually, and started in a team that was dedicated to vulnerable customer support which was great. And actually I loved it. And then I did that for about eight months, I think. And then thought, oh, we need to apply for unis if that's what I'm going to do. And I did sort of went through the motion, decided I was going to go to Brighton actually, and went and toured it and did all of that. And then came home and thought, do I want to spend the next three years talking about philosophy, politics and ethics? Or do I want to keep having a chat with customers that need me when it's a bit more real world. So I never ended up going to uni. I stayed in my role in the contact center. And then I took my first kind of step out of that into a performance coaching role for the team that I'd been working in at the time. And that was kind of where I think that's where my career properly started. That's where I got the bug, I think, for people management support and, you know, being the person that makes people realize what's great about themselves already is such a high. And I lost it. I became obsessed with that feeling, watching that light bulb moment happen where 
all I've really done is ask a couple of questions and someone goes, oh, I could do this. I already know how to do this. And you go, yeah, yeah, you do. And that was addictive for me quite quickly. So I moved around a bit after that, did some performance, performance coaching for a while, moved into a quality role. So I wanted to get more of the, the analytical side of it and trending and having a bit of a wider influence. And then did that, I became a product SME for a while, which wasn't any favorite thing that I'd ever done. I decided to give people management a go after a while. So I moved away from those EDFs that I was working for and I decided to move to Bristol, give people management a go and moved over to Ovo, which was an interesting, an interesting adjustment going from like a very large corporate established environment to what was at the time still relatively startup. And i be honest, I spent the first couple of months thinking, what the hell have I done? What on earth have I walked into here? I just wasn't used to it. It was such a different environment. And, you know, it was the first time I experienced someone saying to me, well, do you think that's the best way to do that? Or, you know, you're the expert, you decide. And I was like, what? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Uh, So that was the first time I ever felt that. And after I settled into it, that became the thing that fed me, similar to how I felt when I had that first performance coach role and that kind of light bulb moment being the addiction, working in a new startup environment and having someone go, we don't know either. You make your best judgment call and we'll figure it out together. And I was like, this, this is me. This is my element. I can do this. With a few wobbles along the way, you know, that, that imposter syndrome. Of course. Hard, mm. Really hard. But that became my new thing that drove me and I loved it. Did so many interesting things. Really got to experience what it was like to actually have control over what I, who I was as a leader and the way that I wanted to present myself. And I loved that, but I, I miss the support element of being in like performance coach and quality roles before that. So I loved people leadership because that was a huge part of what I did. There was also a lot of other stuff. That just didn't interest me as much. The type of projects that I would take on as part of being in that role mm. were interesting, but they weren't ultimately working towards creating a more supportive and development-led environment for our people. So I decided I wanted to get back into coaching quality L&D type roles. So I moved across, worked in what we called our service quality department. So I took over managing the training team as Matt Cover. It was like, it was one of those moments in life where all the cars just fell into place perfectly. I had a conversation and said I was interested in moving in that department. And then two weeks later, someone was going on that leave and there the opportunity was. So took it, did that, did that cover for about six, nine months and then never left. Basically, I moved from training back over to quality. There were separate functions at the time, but stayed within the same department. So I got to do both sides, managed QAs, performance coaches. And loved it, absolutely loved it, and got to do some incredible things. We, you know, the award ceremonies, and I got to see what it was like to be part of like a truly award-winning function, which was incredible. And then got to a point where I, I was like, I'm, I'm ready for the next big thing, and I still really had that passion for being part of a, a smaller, more new startup environment. And Ovo wasn't that anymore, which was great for the company. I could, you know. Loved watching that evolution into a much more established 
bigger, huge household name, but it just wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do forever. I didn't want to go back into that world having left it with EDS. So I, opportunity, again, opportunities sort of landed in my lap. I've been really fortunate throughout my career where Dojo wasn't Dojo at the time, had no name, payment sense, legacy name at the time. As an opportunity where a new contact center was being created in Bristol, working for someone, Justin Haynes, who's been on the podcast as well, who I'd worked for some years at that point, had huge respect for. And when he said, you know, I'm leaving over, I'm going, this is the opportunity that I've got. And I thought, God, you're going to make something absolutely incredible there. And then saw a job advert come up and thought, I want to be part of that. I really want to be part of that if that's what's happening. So it really left over after six years, I think, in the end of being there. And came to Dojo, payment centre at the time, with with nothing. There's nothing. There's no contact centre. There was 12 of us, I think, in a room, rented office space, like Serge, rented office space in an office in central Bristol, three days before the pandemic kicked off. So spent a couple of days in, our, at the time, our London office, and then we sent home, and the country went into lockdown. And again, I had that what the hell have I done? What on earth? There isn't a contact center for me to be part of here yet. <laughs> and now we're going to be at home for God knows how long. And I just thought, oh my God, what's going to happen? And that first, that first like four, six weeks when, I mean, nobody knew anything about what was going to happen mm. with the pandemic and, and everyone had the same fears and worries, right? And I have never, I spent a couple of weeks being like, oh God, oh God. But honestly, I've asked to that point, I've never been more certain that I made the right decision about something probably ever in my career. Because I was, Dojo reacted to that and and how quickly they pivoted to be like, oh yeah, we're just all going to work from home. Nothing's stopping. We're just going to do everything we were doing before and we're going to do it remotely because we can. And the speed at which that happened, I was like, it floored me, absolutely floored me. And it just went straight back to business as usual immediately. And so... I was chatting with Justin and George and they were saying, okay, well, you know, you need to set your quality function up. We are going to have a new contact center in the next six months. They need to be the best that anyone's ever seen. That customer experience is going to be the best customer experience anyone's ever had. So off you go, Dace. Make that happen. Thanks. Right. Okay. Well, off we go then. It was me. There's 12 of us who had a couple of team managers that had been hired, a few advisors that had been hired, like I said, like 12, 14 of us. And that was it. And, and off we went. And the product was still being designed, didn't have a name yet at that point, hadn't gone to market. It wasn't even in pilot stage at that point. And I, you know, I was creating a, a policy framework for exceptional customer experience for a product that didn't exist. I mean, this is bizarre, right? This is a bit Twilight Zone. Yeah. I, mean, I have no idea yet. But it was, it was absolutely incredible. And since then, so it started, I had, I had a single performance coach based in Hull. So, I mean, not that we were traveling anywhere at that point anyway, but my only, my only employee at the time was a performance coach who was based in Hull for our payment fence site. I had nobody in Bristol with me and we just, we just got on with it and the product was developed and it went market and it went crazy quickly. And we were recruiting, you know, inside of 12 months, we went from the 12, 14 of us that started to 
80, 90 advisors strong. We had a collections department. We had a complaints team. We had all of it in inside of 12 months. And I look back now, three and a bit years later, and I think, I have no idea how that happened. That time is... <laughs> no idea what happened there I, I I couldn't tell you I have no idea and you know we were in and out and locked down then not locked down and then we had the tier system and you know I remember having to follow arrows around on the floor if I did come into the office and lanyards in different colors to indicate whether you were okay to get close to someone or not and it, I just that feels like about a thousand years ago I know it's crazy absolutely mad there and I you know it, but it happened so organically so I started my my role was create the quality framework. We're gonna we're gonna give the best customer service anyone's ever given. And at the time, I was like, "Yeah, I've heard that before, but I wanna I will give it a go." And then I sat back and watched and thought, "Okay, this is gonna be a slow burn, right? We'll product will go to market. There'll be some flaws and some bugs, and and we'll build up that great customer respect." But it just didn't. Like out the gate, five star trust pilot reviews, and piece out with never went below 4.9 and I was just like okay we are doing this this is happening and it was really exciting so proud like really proud moment for me being you know being part of something where I'd said this, this is what I think this is how I think we can deliver on an exceptional service and then watching customers react positively to that was just it blew my mind and and helped them from a being positive in okay yeah. well something's going right then and then it kind of goes from there, you know, we got bigger, I hired more and more people into the team. And then I had, you know, quality auditors and we had performance coaches and then got to a point where I thought, you know, we could be doing more for our frontline advisors to make their lives easier. We're doing a great job for our customers, but we need to look after our people too. So I took on a knowledge management lead. So my functions expanded from kind of quality and coaching to include knowledge and I worked, I hired internally, brought someone off the phone and we sat down in a room with a whiteboard and went, have you ever built a knowledge base before? I just looked at each other and went, absolutely not. No, ever worked with a good one. And we went, some good bits here and there and just sort of pulled together the various different things we'd seen that were great. We put up all the things we'd done that weren't great that we wanted to solve for and then just racked on and built it. We built, you know, we built an entire knowledge base in about three weeks, which I don't know. I don't know if we slept really. <laughs> so that did that, and then started thinking more long term. Okay, well, how do we really make things great? So we started looking at technology that could support us in the knowledge management space and and in the quality space. And how do we scale this? And how do we grow? You know, we're still recruiting a new group every month at this point. I've got to a point of having three functions. Hired my first manager into my team it's the first time I was managing managers which was a learning curve for me and then I just got bigger and bigger and you know I was managing split sites so we've got our Bristol operation and our Hull operation I had teams in both spaces and I had to I had to learn to let go quite a lot I you know, hired Emma Emma Clement in to manage the quality and performance coach side of things and I, I felt like I was watching my child go off the uni you know like, <laughs> oh, God. Oh. but she's incredible and she's like what she's done with the team since is just mind-blowing and then it got bigger and bigger and then last year I took on the training function as well so I kind of 
feel like I completed the bingo card of all things for supporting our front line, right? With, with the exception of forecasting, because that that's not my fault. <laughs> I think that's one I'm, I'm quite happy to stay away from long term. But yeah, so ended up with a four function strong department. And it was the first time where I, I really felt like this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. This is exactly what I wanted. I didn't know it and I didn't know I was working towards it. You know, when I was a kid, well, when I was a kid, I wanted to be the yellow power ranger, but I had no idea really what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I just found, I had this moment of real clarity in the summer last year where I just thought, I cannot imagine myself doing anything else ever, ever again for the rest of my life. I want to do this. I want this feeling. You know, I had, I'd have advisors come up to me and say things like, you know, I had an amazing coaching session with one of the coaches last week, or I absolutely loved this training that I did last week, or, or I've just got a new job and it's because your team supported me. And I just thought, I don't know why anyone does anything else. This is just yeah. And the whole thing from start to finish, right? Now I've got, I can work with my team and we go from onboarding someone from the very start of their career at Dojo and through their training and into training bay and then into a live environment where they're qualitatively and, and coachingly word, but supported by my areas. And then, you know, they get into that performing and norming state and then they start thinking about the next stage in their career and I get to come back in and be a part of what that looks like. Just all of those truly formative stages in someone's career in contact centers. And I'm fortunate enough to be a part of all of them. And I just, I wouldn't change it for the world. It's cheesy, isn't it? But I wouldn't. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why Daisy is is a perfect guest for a podcast because it's just a joy to sit and listen to you talk about everything you've gone through and kind of how you've brought it to life around being addicted to feelings and situations and outcomes, but also the the kind of hard work that that goes into it and also walking forward and being in this in this period where you have different challenges right and so those challenges might be imposter syndrome they might also be thinking i have got so much responsibility now and it's terrifying <laughs> because yep. you know that you know to take you back to that first moment where all of a sudden you're someone's asking you and you're looking around and there there isn't a process there isn't another person it is you yep you know and what now there could be people listening that want to go on the same journey as you right and they maybe because they don't have the experience of achievement the doubts the doubt is in a, a stronger position because they're like well i've no, i haven't done it Oh, and you listen to that little voice saying, yeah, you, you probably can't or yeah, why would it, why would it be you from what you've, I mean, your experience alone is inspiration for just going and doing it. But what would you, when you're talking to people, when you're, you're identifying maybe some people now that you think, oh, they're going to be great. What yeah. do you, what would you say? Or what do you say to them? A great question and I think lots of things the, the things that hold people back in my experience you're absolutely right it's 99% of the time it's, it's your own thought process and it's the things you're saying to yourself that stop you from getting 
the things that you deserve, the things that you're perfectly capable of doing. And I have experienced that. And now something that I find myself saying quite a lot, especially as I've spent more time recruiting and kind of being in control of, of what that looks like. And I, I speak to a lot of people who say things like, I really want to come and work in your area, but I don't have the experience for it. And I find the most helpful thing for me is to try and get them to think about all the things that they do outside of a professional environment that are transferable into whatever role it is that they're interested mm-hmm. in. I had a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago to come back into the workplace after maternity leave and was saying, you know, I've had this gap in my career and, and I, I don't know where to go now. And I feel like I've held myself back and, and I don't have the same level of skill as another person who hasn't had a year out might have. And I just said, okay, what have you learned about being a mum? What new skills have you taken from that? That's a huge life change for you. What, what skills have you taken away? from being a mother for the first time. And I said, well, you know, I'm more organized than I used to be. And I have to think about a million different things at once. And I said, okay, this, the direction that you want to take your career in, the people that are already doing that job, what do they do? What skills do you admire about them? She said exactly the same thing. She said, well, they're really organized and they're always thinking about me and different things at once. And I was like, so tell me again how it is that you don't have the right skills for the direction <laughs> that you want to go in. I think for me, the thing that I find is that people naturally, and, and I do it, so I still do it to this day, right? This is not a, a perfect art for me either, but people tend to separate out their work life and their home life, which is the right thing to do from a work life balance perspective, but they keep that division when they're thinking about skills that they have. Mm-hmm. They think I have professional yeah. skills and I have personal skills and they are two different things and they are. They're the same. The skills that you learn in any environment are transferable into other roles and you you have to realize that. And I find that the most success that I have in convincing people that they are ready and they can take that next leap is by getting them to realize that the things that they do outside of their professional environment have built them a set of skills, transferable skills that can carry them forward in work if they only allow it. Let it in one way. Don't let it take over your life and blur those lines, you know, but allow yourself to succeed based on the things that you've learned that aren't entirely dependent on what someone would write down on their CV as a traditional skill, right? And I think that's really important. And once you start, because people are much, find it much easier, weirdly, to say that they're good at things when it's not work-related, I find. So, mm-hmm. you know, if someone can play mm-hmm. the guitar, they'll be yeah. like, yeah, I can play the guitar, and they'll whack it out at every party, and they want to share <laughs> that they can do Go that. Go get the guitar. Yeah, exactly. Come on, then. We'll do Wonderwall. But... I just, and seeing people be that passionate about something, but then not have the same view of themselves in a professional environment, I've, for me, is, is mind-blowing. Like, you should, mm. why? Why are you so confident in yourself and this skill? You know, you taught yourself to play guitar, right? And you do it every day because you love it, but you're also telling me that you love your job and you want to move forward. So why can't you take exactly the same mindset when you were teaching yourself guitar? Because I'm sure there were setbacks in that. You didn't go from having never picked it up to, you know, being flashed, did you? So what was that journey like? What was that process like for you? Lift and shift that mindset, drop it into your professional world. And I guarantee you that voice isn't going to go away, but it will be a little bit quieter. And you still have to overcome that. And you still have to learn that that voice is in you. That's not what someone else's voice at all. But it will diminish slightly if you allow yourself space to take your personal successes and transfer them to your professional environment. 
You are listening to Get Out of Rap. Some of the things I was just listening to there was how the environment has to be right, okay, doesn't it? So the environment has to be one that is where trust is prevalent. So you talked a few times about kind of being in a position where the buck stops with you, you're doing things for the first time, really key, important things, but it's it's taking place in a an environment of creativity, innovation, but critically trust and does that does that now carry through to you know you kind of like you say letting go and watching your managers manage that you have to go right i have to trust them the same way that other people have trusted me yeah absolutely that's hard really really hard and i struggle with that to this day probably my single biggest development area when i take that time to self-reflect or when others (laughs) reflect on my behalf is wanting to be in everything all the time not and it it doesn't come out of a place of mistrust for the people that I've handed that over to it comes from I think it comes from a place of I've been in your position where Mm. I the buck has stopped with me and I want to protect you from some of the negativity that I felt in that environment right self-inflicted negativity but I want to help you not ever feel that but that often presents itself as like control freak nature control freak days I don't want to take anything away from you. I just don't want you to feel like you don't have a support network. And that's what I've found the most difficult about letting it go. Nothing to do with the fact that I don't trust those people to do an incredible job. And it's everything to do with the fact that I don't want them to feel as though they don't have a strong enough support network to see. And I find that really, really difficult. And I think a lot of that comes from the, the, the industry, the specific part of the industry that I work in, right? My entire career is centered around making people self-realize and feel great in their own right but what what I reflected on about two years ago now I had a moment where I did I just look stupid I made a decision I was like let's give this a go it didn't work at all it wasn't stupid but in hindsight could have been smarter about my decision making process and it really didn't work and it was my first big like sales forward moment and People that were around me were like, okay, what have we learned from this? What are we going to do differently next time? Like pick up and run with it. Really allowed me to put into perspective that, okay, the world didn't stop. I still feel fine. The people around me have not changed their opinion of me. I need to let my people have the same space to do that. And if I'm constantly, I'm constantly around making them feel like I'm here to support you, I'm here to support you, they're never going to get an opportunity to fail. And that's mm. important because you learn mm. from it. So... I still, I'm still working on that actively every single day, not being a blocker to my people inadvertently, not intentionally, but allowing them to shine in their own right because they are incredible people. And, you know, I, I joke about it a lot now when I get brought into conversations and I'll introduce who I am and, and what I do. And most of the time I introduce it by going, daily and training and quality manager. And actually what I do is have an incredible team of people that do a lot of amazing things. And I'm just fortunate enough to be at the helm and get to watch that happen. And I think when you learn to accept their successes as like reflections of yours, you know, I the pride that I get when someone is recognized within my area for having done something, it's, just, I, it's the same feeling that I had when I was talking about when I was first a performance coach and you watch someone with their light bulb, light bulb moment, right? That's my version of that now. Watching my team succeed is my version of that. So that helps me overcome some of that 
let it go and not your baby anymore, but you can still celebrate the successes of other people and be proud of what they're doing. It's kind of, it's like a, it's protection, isn't it? It's a, mm. it's a protective urge to, when, when in fact, actually, if you're a juggler and you're teaching your team how to juggle, you can't prevent all of the balls that they're juggling not hitting the ground. That's how they become jugglers is that they, they drop the balls and then you go, yeah, that's fine. That's normal. Pick it yeah. up, try again. You can't be there running around the classroom, making sure oh, no one no. drops, <laughs> making sure no one <laughs> drops one. But it, but again, that's something, that's the kind of, that letting people fail in in a, in a supportive environment is part of how they develop and, and, and learn, isn't it? And it's, you know, I just think it's your, it's, I would say, knowing you it's like a passion it's just passion for people passion for facilitating those like aha moments and oh yeah i can i can do this but then it can it can kind of bleed a little bit into you know kind of like overly protective just kind of going oh i think they might fail how do, yeah. I, how do I stop that when in fact it's it's they okay it's like so yeah they need to yeah yeah and the the kind of the view of like imposter syndrome and if you think how successful you've been and all of the different things that you've done and often that has been with a blank piece of paper and just go right how do we do this like where do you even start the fact that you've done it has that enabled you to kind of control that feeling sometimes yes others not I doubt myself a lot less than I used to. But what I find now is that that imposter syndrome piece comes back when it's something, when it's new, like great point, blank slate of paper, not really done this before, but let's give it a go. Moments where I'm doing that in something that I know like the back of my hand, like in a in a coaching space, right? I If we're starting from scratch for something or we're, wipe the slate clean and we're starting again I have like a, a good nervousness an excited mm. nervousness a blank mm. whiteboard is my friend in that moment and I don't feel imposter syndrome about it because it might go wrong but I know that I know coaching I know that I know what good looks like in that space but I don't hear that voice anymore I find now when I have to work to control it is when I'm doing things that are linked to so there's a close link to one of the areas that I'm I'm passionate and comfortable in but it's a new audience maybe. So I'm having to convince someone else that I wouldn't normally interact with that, that this is a right decision and this is a good decision to make. And interestingly, one of the things that I found really useful for me in that is because I, another one of my development areas, I'm such a, I'd love to think about things as like big as we can possibly make them. You know, if we're, if we're in the front of that whiteboard, I'm talking like, if I had a magic wand level creation and innovation, you know, and that's amazing in some spaces, but the reality is there has to be some sort of return on investment. We need to see a benefit. Like we can't just go mad days. And if ever a job comes up where you are allowed to just do that, by the way, I, I would like <laughs> to publicly earmark my name. Yeah, I'm <laughs> but, in the race. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But one of the things that I've 
I've learned how to do that has really helped quell the imposter syndrome piece is to focus in on the fact that I know naturally I have that. Like if someone draws me in and it's like, I need someone to have a big idea. Dave, come help me. Great. I'm all over it. I've learned the other side of it, which is thinking more analytically, thinking about how I will measure the success of whatever that thing is, thinking about what the outcome on the other end is going to look like in a measurable way. And knowing, making that part of my like blue sky thinking process really helps me stop feeling as impostery because I know that I can, if someone was to challenge me, I can say, yeah, but here's my proof or here's my working. But even if they then pick it apart and go, okay, that's not going to work or X, Y, and Z, I know on paper I've taken the time to think about what the challenges might be. And I feel less kind of stressed that someone's going to look at me and think she doesn't know what on earth she's talking about because I've learned the other side of it. And then I interact with people who have the opposite, right? Where they are very analytical thinkers and they're Mm. great at that side of things. But the creative thinking is a learned behavior to them. So they've done the opposite thing to what I have. They're worried that people won't be brought in or on board because they're not coming in and flouncing their arms around and, you know, dancing around the room like I do. But everything they're saying is, perfectly thought out and is definitely going to work and going to be incredible but they don't have they need to learn the creativity side of it and they get a bit looser with it and that kind of thing and and it's exactly the same and I found it so interesting to work with people who are on the opposite end of that scale with me to me because they say exactly the same things I feel like I've got imposter syndrome I don't think that I'm the right person to make this decision but they're saying the same thing but it's the opposite reason and I think that's why it's so important that you have like really strong either mentoring networks or like real flexibility mm. to connect and work with different people in different environments. Because if I was only ever surrounded by fancy people like me, I don't think anything would ever get done, quite honestly. <laughs> it's been, I'd have a wall of whiteboards and loads of incredible ideas. <laughs> Nothing would ever be executed. But having the space a safe, like a psychologically safe space to admit that I feel imposter syndrome because I naturally don't have this skill and to have someone else respond to me and say, I feel imposter syndrome for the exact opposite reason and for us to be able to connect and go, let's work on that together then. I can help you with one piece and you can help me with the other. And that's really important because you can't, you can't do it on your own. I watch or interact or, you know, read a lot about people who, lots of people say things like, have to believe in yourself like you are the only person you can depend on and quite honestly I think that's absolute nonsense because I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am right now if I hadn't have had the opportunity to learn and grow from the people around me I can't take sole credit for that I take some credit for it obviously but I would not be here if I hadn't been fortunate enough to work in spaces where I can create collaboratively and work with other people and in environments where we all feel safe and secure enough to admit the things that make us feel insecure and then work together to improve them. You know what? You know when you're saying, I've got these great big ideas, I need to call on someone. I would be the worst person to call on, okay? <laughs> because we, there's so much I recognise then in myself when you were talking. So it's like with the team leader community. I'm like, oh, it's going to help. It's going to help thousands of people. It's going to be amazing. It will help them every day, right? And it will be global. And what I need, to your point, is somebody that goes, okay, listen, not in a patronizing way, yeah, but in a, (laughs) okay, listen, that's great, yeah. 
how are you going to get there? And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's just going to happen. It's going to be brilliant. Build it and they will come. And this. And they were like, okay, listen, we need some detail. We need detail. We need stages. We need, you know, and it's kind of like bringing that, bringing me back down to earth yeah. to be able to go, look, look, you have to focus on some of this stuff. Yeah. So can you yeah. apply yourself to this? But you're right that those type of people are, that's where they're happy. That, that building the minutiae, the devil is in the detail and the stages and ROI and whatever. And I'm in my hot air balloon just flying around. <laughs> come back, come back, come back a bit. We need to have a, we need to have a debrief. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, you it's, it's and a I really good have... point. We'd have some great idea generation, but. <laughs> well, we'd leave a room, yeah, because it used to be, it, it did, again, I think when you've got a team that can challenge you, because some of the challenges I would get were, we'd have these great ideation sessions. Oh, what a horrible word, but you know. Yeah. And people go, look, we, we leave these rooms and everyone's buzzing, but no one's taken any actions. No one's yeah. gone, what are we actually doing? And I'd be like, oh, yeah. Good point. Good right. point. Yeah. What are the actions? Yeah. Look at the whiteboard. Sounds... It's amazing. Hey, what are you tra- I've taken a photo of the whiteboard. Just do that. Wow. Exactly that. Yeah. Need grounding. But it's important to have both. Like both of those things need to exist in order for something to succeed, truly succeed, I think. Because you can succeed by only being in the detail. Absolutely. But I th- I I think about it as the the difference between like succeeding. And like executing in my head, like I could execute something by only being in the minute detail from start to finish. But if there isn't anyone in that space that's thinking like, yeah, but what about if we just do something really bad? Or what about if we do this instead? Or what about if we take everyone out of the contact center for a day and we make them all go to acting lessons? Because think how good their empathy would be if we do that. Like, right, that is so not going to happen. But someone yeah. needs to just say it. Because saying something like that then gets everyone else in the room going, okay, well, no, Dave, we can't do that because that's madness mm. because we have a contact center to run. But maybe we could do something different. Why don't we put on the skills we've already got? How could we turn that into something that's feasible and doable and then we'll minutely plan it out? And I just think those, those, like, those are relationships where you have, you have the grounding and you have the madness and they're both working in tandem is where you see things this is where it comes to life, right? And you must see this all the time. You've, I mean, how how many times have you been a part of judging as part of the CCMA? And you must have seen hundreds of people, thousands of people probably tell their stories. And I always find that if I'm in the best practice with it or I'm interacting with a company or a person or whoever it might be, the ones that stick in my brain are the people who go, I had this this huge idea and then we scaled back from this huge idea and did this really amazing thing instead. But it's still completely wacky and a bit out there. But it's real and it's tangible and we can make it work. And those are the ones that stick in my brain. The ones that are like, you know, 17 page long project plans with every day mapped out. I just remember that there was a project plan. I don't, you know? Yeah. What. Yeah. And I think it's that kind of the search for difference. And I think if you're, you know... I I like exercises where you could come in and surprise people by saying, okay, what would be the quickest way for our company to go bust? Mm-hmm. Right. What? Tell me. And, and people are like, what are you talking about? 
And I went, I want you now, either it's from nefarious reasons or circumstance, but what would be the situation that could cause us to operate no more? You know, and people go, oh, okay, and now oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap into a part of their brain that they don't think about. You know, they go, well, what if, could there be something that happens with the government? I go, go on, what, what does that look like? And, and then you take yeah. all of that output and then go, right, well, how do we, which of these are valid? Like one of them would be alien invasion wipes <laughs> out, wipes us out. Yeah, okay, we won't worry about that one. We're going to plan for that. <laughs> but what are the other ones that we could think about how do you flip that round you know and that kind of i'm drawn like you i'm drawn to that it's it's partly storytelling it's partly being you know the, the art of the possible right and then you have people that you like you say that you need to go yeah that that's not going to work like that but there's a germ of an idea there that we could do something with you go like okay get over your sulk for a little bit yes but then go yeah okay we'll do it that way we'll compromise on that (laughs) and how so you mentioned things now do you do you see yourself as as a mentor now you've moved into that managing managers and there must be people who there's there's daisies right there now that are making the same decision right not not maybe not to go to uni because they they see you doing what you're doing do you feel that kind of responsibility to to share with them and yeah absolutely and I I don't even really see it as a responsibility if I'm honest I just think I mean I mean you know me well enough to know that I love to talk so and I love (laughs) a story and I you know as much as you know, I said that I still feel imposter syndrome and all of those things, but I am really proud of the things that mm. I've achieved. And I think I had one of those moments where I was like, I've actually made it. I was having a conversation with my dad just before my wedding last year. And he called me aside and he said to me, you know, I, I don't get enough. I just need to tell you, I'm so proud of you. Like I'm, I'm so proud of you. And I thought that's, that's it. I've made it. You know what I mean? Like, I could have as many promotions as I want for the rest of my life. But this moment for me, having someone that close to me that I love that much say that to me, I and I reflected on it afterwards and I was like, you know what, me too. Like, I am really, really proud of myself. And I am so proud of everything that I've achieved with the help of all of the people that have got me here. And so I, I don't see it as a responsibility necessarily. It doesn't show like something that's on my shoulders to do, you know. It just feels like... I'm so passionate about the journey that I've been on that I'll I'll spin it to anyone that will listen because if if anyone has even the tiniest glimmer of resonance with what I'm saying in the journey that I've been on, that's enough, you know. And I don't need you to then talk to me about it. If you don't want to turn that into a formal mental mentee relationship, if just me explaining what I've done in my career makes someone walk away and go, I see some of that in my future and I see elements of that in what I'm doing at the moment I'm happy with that it just I mean obviously I love it when people do then want to talk to me about it and and ask for help and support in it but I guess it it speaks to the coaching side of me in that no one ever comes to you really they might think that they don't have the capability but somewhere somewhere inside of them they know that they do because if they truly didn't believe they could do it, they wouldn't even start the conversation with you, right? If there wasn't a part of someone that thought, I can do that, 
I want to do that. They wouldn't even entertain the conversation. So yeah, I don't know if responsibility is the word. I think it's just, it feels right for me. They share my journey because there might be other people that think similarly or are in the same position. And if they want to have a chat about it, I'm all here for it. I will do whatever you need me to be in that relationship. But equally, if you just want to listen to me talk, which I can do a lot of, then that's fine. And I'm just happy that listening to someone else explain their journey has had some kind of impact on you in any way, shape or form. Well, that was goosebumps. Actually, that was lovely. And I think just even in this episode, we're definitely going to have to do another one because we've only really scratched the surface and it's it it's time to call this part to an end but we won't as long but will you come back on absolutely if you'll have me definitely definitely so everyone stay tuned for we'll do part two of daisy lee crouch though but thank you so much for coming on it's been brilliant thank you for having me yeah it's been amazing thanks marco Thank you. You made it. You made it to the end of another episode. And what a great one that was. I've known Daisy a long time. She's absolutely awesome. And I know she won't mind you getting in touch if there's any aspect of this episode you'd like to to talk about. Please do, if you haven't already, subscribe. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care.